Good morning. Uh, this is Steve Taylor, one of the vicars of St James. Um, this is our sermon. Thank you for finding it. Um, let's pray as we come to God's word. Father, thank you that you are always with us and that you have promised to send your Holy Spirit to lead us into truth. We ask that you come close to us now where we are and that you speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, it's Palm Sunday. It's time to wave palms and take to the streets and parade and process. Okay, maybe not. Um, Some people are uh, pinning green leaves, green palms to their front doors today as a sign that it is Palm Sunday, that today is different, today is something that we celebrate. Um, Obviously we can't go out uh, for the last few years. We have uh, started the service outside church and sung and paraded in, Um, whereas I'm preaching to you now from my study and I can hear the rest of my family all doing various bits to keep themselves occupied and amused uh, around the house. Um, yeah, it's an interesting time and we are remembering Palm Sunday. This is Holy Week, uh, even though this week uh, may not feel very different to last week. I think it's important that we use this time uh, to help us uh, draw close to God, to help us have a sense of Uh, shape and direction Uh, as we retrace the steps of Jesus in his last week before crucifixion, before resurrection. Uh, And today is where it starts. It's Palm Sunday because they waved palms as he enters into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And so as we look at that gospel story, The thing that I have heard so many times and that I've said myself is that crowd. What a bunch of hypocrites. Here they are on Sunday, cheering Jesus, praising him, waving everything around, putting their coats on the road for him him and his donkey to ride on. And yet in just five days, they will be asked, what shall we do with him? And they will shout, crucify. Hypocrites, how dare they speak like this today on Palm Sunday when it will change so much come Friday. Then as I was looking at the verse today, as I was reading through this passage, I wondered if we're being harsh on them. And I tried to put myself in their shoes. So, and Well, the last time I was in something that was at all um, similar, was soon after we arrived in Alperton in 2012. I don't know how many of you remember the torch relay, uh, as the Olympic torch went from place to place, um, and people we lined the streets to watch the Olympic torch, the flame go past, and we shouted and we cheered. Now, the torch was carried along Wembley High Street, uh, by Labyrinth, who is a a well-known and popular musician, although not someone known by me in any way, shape or form. I think I'd be more excited 
to be on the next leg where the actor who played Ron Weasley from the Harry Potter films uh, was carrying the torch. But Labyrinth uh, carried it past. I was informed uh, by someone next to me who he was and we cheered and we shouted like I'd ever heard his music um, because he was carrying the torch and because it was an occasion and because we were excited and the Olympics were coming to London and wasn't this fantastic? And then I went home and had a cup of tea. It was all very, very exciting and then it was done and that was off. So maybe that's what happened on Palm Sunday. You had a group of people getting carried away, getting swept up in the excitement and the emotion of the moment. Well, again, I think that's quite harsh on people because, you know, if you read the words that they said, uh, they say, praise God for the son of David, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, they call him the son of David. And they call him uh, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, are they mistaken? No, they've got it absolutely right. They know who Jesus is. They're not like me faced with labyrinth um, or any other artist of that genre, to be honest. Um, they know that Jesus is the son of David. They're, they're naming him correctly. And so actually there is... There is something meaty there. There is some reason for their excitement. So at that point, let's jump off and do some history as to why a crowd would be so excited to greet the son of David coming into Jerusalem. So we all know David um, carried a slingshot, defeated Goliath, uh, became king of Israel. In fact, uh, he was the one really who united the people of Israel got them in, got a standing army, led them in battle against the uh, other peoples who would try and uh, raid their land. And he established a kingdom. He established a kingdom that was successful, um, that was respected and that was secure. Now, we talk about the son of David. Well, the son of David was Solomon. And actually, the, the Bible is really... Um, effusive, really elaborate in its praise of Solomon's kingdom. Uh, I mean, it'd be interesting for you to do, if you wanted to, to Google or look up um, the kingdom of Israel under David and Solomon and just see how far it stretches, how far up into Lebanon and Syria, how far down towards Egypt. It was a, a huge kingdom. And uh, in uh, the book of um, Kings, we hear just how rich Solomon was about how he controlled the area uh, actually by economics to a large extent he had people he, he would buy the raw materials from other nations to have that brought here and he, he got some fantastic deals and he had the best materials to build the temple uh, that he was uh, he was building to the glory of God now there's another story there in Solomon about how that then gets carried away and he loses sight of who God is and why he is ruler. But if you are thinking in Jesus' time of uh, the son of David, the kingdom of God, you are thinking about um, having a nation which is strong, having a nation which is powerful, 
a nation which is independent, which does not pay taxes to Caesar, does not pay taxes to anyone, doesn't have any soldiers from another power in its borders, but it rules itself, it manages itself. And actually, that kingdom, the kingdom of David, the kingdom of Solomon, was a very prosperous kingdom. There was lots of employment. There was lots of money. There were lots of goods coming into the nation. They were respected. They felt like they had, uh, they had position. So if you were one of the people living outside Jerusalem, under the boot of the Roman soldiers who could do what they liked because they were the ones carrying the swords and, you know, they did regularly, if there was any hint of unrest or of disloyalty towards Rome, then they would kill people. Uh, Crucifixion was the Roman method of execution, Uh, invented to be so cruel and horrific that other people would just think more than twice about standing against them because the cost would be so high. So in that context, to be free from that, to be out from that, and suddenly to be in a nation where you are in charge of your own destiny, where other nations come and bring their wealth to you, where there is work, where things come easily, where you have what you need, Heavens, wouldn't you want that? But besides wanting that, it's, this isn't just about harking back to a time past. This is about a promise of God. Your God, who you have grown up with stories of the Passover every year, how he rescued your forefathers from slavery, from Egypt, from the chariots and the horses and the soldiers of Pharaoh. You know the stories of David uh, against Goliath, of how God protects David, how God gives him victory. The stories of the judges, of Samson, of Gideon, of Deborah. You know these stories. And this God has promised, I will send you Messiah, anointed one. I will send you someone who will bring salvation. If you look through the minor prophets, Uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, um, Zephaniah, Zechariah, there is this talk of uh, the the promise of the future about God rebuilding Israel, about God bringing new life and new prosperity to his people. So you, as a peasant in Judea at this time, you know this is who your God is, that he has put your people at the top of the pile, And there is a promise that he will put you there again. You just have to wait for Messiah. So, here comes Jesus. Here comes the son of David. Born in David's town, of David's line. Um, The one who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, it's... In some ways, it always strikes me as being funny that you have this crowd of people who suddenly they get it. They know that this is who Jesus is and they are so excited to proclaim Messiah that when they get to Jerusalem uh, and people say, well, what, what's all the fuss? What's going on here? And it says, when they came to Jerusalem, verse 10, the whole city was gripped with excitement. Who is this? They were saying, 
This is the prophet Jesus, replied the crowds, from Nazareth in Galilee. So the crowds are going with him. They say, this is Jesus. Look, look, he's going to do it. He is the one. And so then we have to ask ourselves the question as we look to judge this cheering crowd. With all their hope, all their expectations, how much of that does Jesus deliver? When he comes, well, he, he clears the temple. Um, he talks about paying taxes to Caesar. He shares Passover with his friends. There isn't anything to rally the crowds. There isn't anything to show that he is going to take on Rome, that he is going to restore the kingdom of God as they know it. There's nothing. And so by Friday, when they see him standing next to Pilate, in chains, whipped, what are they to think? What are they to say? They've been waiting so long for Messiah. They've been so excited to see someone they believed was Messiah. And there he is in chains. Well, why not crucify him? He got your hopes up. He got you all excited. There was maybe after all these generations of being told by your parents, by your grandparents, Messiah will come. You would be the generation to see it. You'd be the one to receive the fruits of God's promise coming. But no. So when our expectations are let down, we feel frustrated. We feel confused. We feel angry. And I think their shouts of crucify, stirred up, we know, by the Pharisees, they come from that, that sense of expectations let down. Of being failed by Jesus. Of Jesus coming as the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And falling short and failing. Now we know because we have the full story and we have these written accounts of what happened. We know that this is not a failure on Jesus' part. But it's a choice. Jesus chooses to ride the donkey rather than the war horse. Jesus chooses to go to Jerusalem. Jesus chooses to let them arrest him and stops his disciples doing anything stupid with swords. And finally, on Good Friday, Jesus chooses to release his spirit. Jesus chooses to die. Now we see that in today's passage, in that Jesus coming to Jerusalem sends his disciples on ahead and says, go to the first house you see, you will find a donkey and its colt. Untie them and bring them here. And if the owner says, oi, 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 where are you going with my donkey? You can say to them, the master needs them and he will return them straight away. And it is as he says. And scholars are split on this. Um, biblical scholars have got two approaches to that. One is that Jesus had a word of knowledge. There's a donkey there. 
the Holy Spirit says there'll be a donkey, send your disciples, they can bring it to you. Uh, the other option is that Jesus has um, a prearranged deal with the owner of that house, the owner of the donkeys, saying at some point I'll be coming back to Jerusalem and I will need your donkeys. Not for long, and I'm not going to harm them, but I will need them when I send people. Can you just let them let them have it, please? Now, whichever way you view it, it still shows that what Jesus is doing through Holy Week is planned. It's thought out. It's prepared for. Now, how much of it is Jesus' own preparation? How much of it is uh, Father God organising and inspiring people and then telling Jesus through the Holy Spirit, this is what's going to happen. This is what is there. You can just carry on. Almost doesn't matter. But it shows that Jesus has chosen this path. This is our king. The one who chooses to die. And he chooses uh, that path, whether we are lining the paths around and cheering and praising him and acknowledging who he is. Or if we stand around and with others say, I can't believe he let me down. Crucify him. Get rid of him. I don't want to see him. That's enough. I don't want this. However we approach Jesus. He chooses this. He chooses obedience to the Father. He chooses uh, death to self, physical death, so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be in relationship with God. Now, we are in the midst of pandemic. Uh, And we worship an all-powerful creator God. Um, It's entirely reasonable for people to ask the questions, why isn't God just fixing it, healing it, curing it? I don't have a, a pat answer for that, except that we are seeing the free will of humanity. Uh, acting out throughout the world in the different responses um, in different countries, the way different cultures respond, those that are shut down straight away, those where people are, um, there's rigorous surveillance of where people have been, who they've come into contact with, those countries where that is held off and it's like, no, 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 we'll we'll be fine, don't curtail our freedoms. In this country with lockdown, we see people um, keeping the lockdown and there's a hotline set up for people to report those they know who aren't keeping the lockdown. That's free will. That's free choice. But as Christians, our king has set us an example. He has shown us a way of sacrifice a way of dying to self, dying to our own wants and needs, a way of obedience to our Father in heaven that leads to life for others. As I look at the reading for Palm Sunday, uh, I am reflecting to what extent 
uh, I am with those who cheered on Palm Sunday. In that I cheer the Jesus who forgives my sin, uh, who gives me peace, who is there when I need a friend. But actually that when it comes to the crunch, when I'm asked to sacrifice, when I'm asked to put others first, when I don't get what I want, I'm less enamoured with that Jesus. I found find that Jesus harder to follow. As we go through Holy Week, we'll recount the stories of the week as Jesus walks towards the cross. We will praise him as we always do. But we also need to reflect that he is our king. He is our example. To what extent are we ready to die to ourselves and live only for God? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your choices that you chose Jerusalem. You chose uh, everything that brought you into contact and conflict with authority and that ultimately you chose the cross. Jesus, I confess that so often I am, I delight in the good things that you give us, but I shrink from the cross, I shrink from the sacrifice uh, that you took and that you invite us to share. As we go through this week, Lord, would you speak to our hearts and give us the strength to follow you in all things? Amen.